Hi, this is Eric Powell, and you're listening to Legion of Dudes. Banded together from remote galaxies are the most sinister villains of all time. The Legion of Dudes. Dude. His dudeness, duder, el duderino. Dude, dude. Dedicated to a single objective, the conquest of the universe. It's the Legion of Dudes podcast. The monkey rode a plane on an overhead train. They played the donkey blue if you pay. I got a telephone call from Miss Ambo. My baby's coming home today. And now, here's the dudes. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to the Legion of Dudes podcast in association with Half Hour Wasted Productions and Rocktastic. That's right, Rocktastic, coming back from the 80s. Uh, my name is Jim, and welcome uh, to our Legion of Dudes episode. This episode will be dealing with uh, Eric Powell's The Goon, Volume 1, uh, subtitled Nothing But Misery in the First tra- uh, Trade. And I have, as always, assembled the most nefarious villains that I could possibly think of, the Legion of Dudes. Tonight we are joined by Mr. Ken Morgan, Mr. Johnny M., Mr. Russell Latham, and Mr. Adam Umack. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, what's up? What up? Biggest group of dudes in a long while. I think it's yeah. the full suite of dudes tonight. Yeah, I think we're, we're all here. We're all duded up and ready to roll. And uh, as I said, tonight's uh, graphic novel will be uh, The Goon, Nothing But Misery, Volume 1. Uh, I know that a lot of you are coming to this new, but I have been following The Goon pretty much since it came out, and I thought it was a really good comic, and thought it would make a good, uh, good episode, and hopefully it will. First off, we have some business from uh, our voicemail line. Isn't that correct? That is correct. Let's see what we've Before got. we get to the meat of the episode, as it were. Hey, what's up, LOD family? This is Sean. Uh, just stopping by for a second to say hello. Quick little Pittsburgh uh, Comic-Con uh, thank yous. I wanted to give um, a shout-out to the LOD, uh, Dan and uh, Adam and uh, Mr. Jim Dietz for, uh, for stopping by the Pittsburgh Comic-Con. Uh, uh, this uh, past weekend, or when, by the time this message plays, whenever, but I wanted to say thank you for stop- not only stopping by, but um, also for, you know, for hanging out and just having a good time. Y'all made this weekend fantastic. We had a great weekend up there. A lot of really cool finds. Um, my friend Donnie got me the Absolute Crisis Omnibus, and I've been, like, thumbing through that all day, and I've been looking through the compendium. Now i got to try to find all these crossovers, and granted, I probably won't be able to find half of them. It had a great time. The Pittsburgh Comic Con was a real good time, and um, they're going to do the show. They're going to move the show to April, so hopefully more of the LOD can show up and uh, participate in it. We really had a really good turnout on uh, Saturday when Stan Lee was there. Had a good turnout on Sunday. Friday was kind of slow, but that's all right. Um, no, I wanted to thank the LOD for being so supportive of what PKD Media is trying to do. So supportive of all our books and just being for being so cool. And for getting the word out about comics and graphic novels and just pop culture in general, y'all rock, for real. So please do not stop doing what you're doing. I'm about to get knee-deep into this uh, Iron Fist uh, Omnibus uh, Part 2 or Volume 2 episode. And I'm also about to get knee-deep into this Villains episode as well. So I'm a little bit behind, so I'm playing catch-up. Anyway, peace and good times to the entire LOD crew, and I will talk to you soon. Later. It doesn't get any classier than Sean Pryor. It just really doesn't. He's just a good guy all around. It was great to see him at the con. Uh, I know, Adam, you were there on Saturday, or you were there uh, Friday and Saturday. I was only there on Sunday because of other pressing business. I had some bodies to bury. But uh, what are your uh, quick uh, impressions of the Pittsburgh Comic Con? I had a great time. Um, I had a a very good time. Uh, They were definitely organized probably more so than uh, they were in the past, and I think that's probably a function of the layout 
of the Monroeville Convention Center. Uh, the Convention Center is a former Wix furniture outlet slash warehouse, and they basically just gutted it and just slapped a new coat of paint on everything. The Expo Mart was a little difficult uh, just to navigate because there were really only like two really, really slim doors to kind of get in and out of. So they had multiple entrances and stuff. There were no problems with tickets. I ordered my tickets online just to be safe and not have to wait in lines at the early morning hours on Friday. So all in all, it's pretty good. And um, we've got an episode. Uh, we just uh, finished uh, wrapping up and stuff about the Pittsburgh Con. There's about, I'm going to say about 10 different interviews on there. Uh, that's just kind of my ballpark. But um, it was a good time to see everyone. I mean, last convention I was at was uh, Super Show. So uh, it's, it's been a while, and it was good to get out and interview folks. Yeah, we're going to be uh, featuring that on our extended feed. Uh, Ken, do you want to explain to our listeners what that's going to be all about? Actually, yeah, we've been kicking around the idea of uh, you know putting out a second feed. As you know, on the feed you're getting this show on, we have a half hour wasted every Monday and Legion of Dudes every, every Thursday. And pretty much ever since we launched uh, HHWLOD.com, we've had website-exclusive contents, audio blogs and things like that. You know, things we want to record when we get out there, but we didn't really want to interfere with our, uh, our main show feed to, to get that stuff out there. Well, we've gotten so much content out there that we thought, hey, it's time to kind of help get that stuff out there to more people. So with that, we're coming out with releasing the HHWLOD, the Half Hour Wasted Legion of Dudes Extended Edition. That's another feed you can subscribe to on iTunes or your personal podcatcher of choice, or still get on the website if you prefer. And you, on that, you're going to find things like audio blogs, you know, additional shows that the Legion of Dudes want to do, um, but we just can't fit into our, our rotation without really overloading you know, other content. You know, maybe the random video file might come out there. I know John and I uh, were, were playing around with uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2 over the weekend, so we, uh, we'll be putting that out there uh, pretty soon. Not sure if or how that will make it to the feed yet, but uh, it will definitely be on the website. Yeah, I think the idea for the extended edition is really the more timely stuff. You know, we plan out what books we're going to cover on the main feed way in advance because people need to you know, buy them, read them, prepare, and, and so forth. So when, I, you know, when a big comic comes out like Blackest Night or Flash Rebirth or Captain America Reborn, you know, we want to talk about it. We've been putting it on the website, but we found that that didn't you know, seem to reach enough people. So putting them on this feed will get the timely stuff out to our listeners more effectively. It's more dudes for you. What could be better, really? I mean, more dudes the better. And it's not just the dudes. You'll see, you'll see a, a special guest... Uh, you know, from uh, Half Hour Wasted as well. We did Blackest Night number three, Adam Umek and I, along with Frank Rincon from Half Hour Wasted. Uh, that's up there right now, for, for example. You guys like, you know, there's a lot of people out there like Star Wars. You know, Russ and I are big Star Wars fans, so we've been putting up invasion, Star Wars Invasion reviews up on that feed. And probably already by the time you hear this, but you also find Adam Umek, while he's at Pittsburgh Comic Con, as he's mentioned, did uh, a few interviews, and we'll be putting those up onto uh, Extended Edition and on the website. Um, Adam, can you say offhand uh, some of the people who will find on that interview feed? Um, well, we've got Jamal Eigel from Supergirl, and he dishes a little bit about what's coming up from Supergirl. Ooh. I talked to uh, Sean McKeever, who is writer for Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane, uh, writer for Teen Titans, for Terror Titans. We kind of talk about what's in store for the Titans for like the, the foreseeable future after Blackest Night. Um, we talked to Mr. J. Fife from jfifeart.com. Uh, he's a pinup illustrator. Um, talked to the guys at Cat Skills Comics. Talked about an awesome sketch I got from Mr. Mike Grell. 
And, um, you know, the usual forum folks, uh, Donnie and Sean and Stephanie Gabarine, we talked about Palm Reader, we talked about Green Brook and all the other stuff that they've got on there, too. Um, and it just kind of, you know, charts my, charts my uh, descent into madness of sketch lines and, and waiting and standing in line and stuff. So look for our more newsy interviewee coverage and uh, more recent audio blog action on our extended edition. And then our uh, in-depth uh, looking, our in-depth views on uh, graphic novels and uh, dissection thereof on our regular feed, including tonight, which uh, is The Goon, Volume 1 by Eric Powell. Gentlemen, just uh, before we dive into the book, uh, do you have any like? Uh, I know you are. Most of you are coming new to this. I think uh, you haven't you haven't read uh, the Goon before this. Yeah, this is my first time. Yeah, okay. mine, mine as well. Uh, what were your uh, general impressions of the book? You know, when I, when I got it, I was flipping through and I wasn't really sure what I was going to think of it uh, once I really got into reading it. Because, you know, it's not something I would normally you know seek out, or if I was just browsing the bookstore, I wouldn't pick it up. And and that's why I, I you know came on to be part of Legion of Dudes was to read stuff that I wouldn't normally read. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm flipping, flipping through it and I'm getting like a Jeff Smith vibe kind of uh, off of it, a little bit of Bone vibe off of it in terms of like the horror feel, even some of the art style to it. And, and I'm like, all right, well, I can, I'll give it a shot. And as I read it, I'm like, it's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's not what I expected it to be. I had this... Uh, Almost this like Looney Tunes, you know, kind of feel like you know, like the the gangsters who are after Bugs Bunny. It's like, yeah, see, come on, we'll take you down. It, it, it was just a lot of a lot of fun, and um, you know, I'm glad I had a chance to read it and introduce me to it. it. It's funny that you mentioned Bugs Bunny because I had like several moments reading this that made me think of other things. Like, and Bugs Bunny was definitely one of them, and Bone was definitely one of them, and Johnny Dangerously and Looney Tunes in general, and Hellboy, and like all the BPRD stuff, you know, it just, it brings back, it, it brought all of these good elements together in just a real fun way, I thought. It, it just, it reminded me of so much stuff while I was reading it, that it was almost like a greatest hits feel. I felt that the goon was really kind of like almost a send up of uh, some of the Dick Tracy characters that Chester Gold created in the dailies. I mean, that, you know, if you, if you look at, uh, you know, Dick Tracy, that was from the 30s. I mean, that was practically up into the 80s. That was almost a 50-year kind of um, comic that was happening from radio to the early film features. And, I mean, even in some cases, radio broadcasts or uh, film, uh, like, uh, serials that they would have. And I just felt that, like, the whole um, overall vibe or scene of the waterfront was maybe not in, like, uh, colorization or illustration, but really more in tone was kind of in line with the kind of like a backdoor dealings uh, quasi-prohibition era that uh, Gould had in the Dick Tracy strips. I got kind of like a, almost like a hoop brain Roger Rabbit vibe off of it, you know, where you can see you know, the main characters being, you know, portrayed by humans and then just all the craziness in the background being animated. So you're kind of like what everybody else said, what, not something... I've I've noticed it in the shops and stuff before, and it's just something I hadn't picked up until we're getting ready to do it tonight. And I know Jim is a huge, huge fan and been talking about it for a long, long time. So, yeah, just very irreverent, very offbeat, a lot different than what I thought it was going to be, but in a good way. I'm glad you guys dug it. It definitely is uh, very stylistically unto itself. I agree definitely with the Looney Tunes vibe you're talking about. Also, it's kind of cross-pollinated with almost like an EC Comics vibe, like, you know, uh, like Tales from the Crypt. Or a weird science yeah, kind okay. of, uh, thing going on, especially when you get the giant fish who are, who are trying to take over the waterfront, as we see in the first chapter, or you know the giant spider who owes 
doing five bucks. He has to make an example out of him. You know? Five bucks. But, yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I really like the, the mix of just, like, um, straight-out goofiness and also, like, film noir. Uh, like, I think Adam is it's a fair cop as far as the, uh, the Dick Tracy type stuff because that kind of set up was, uh, um, in some ways, a, um, a parody of film noir unto itself, you know? I mean, because Dick Tracy is, like, the ultimate goody-goody cop um, as opposed to, you know, the more moral shades of gray so as we start the the graphic novel here we uh the first adventure is called the goon in die fish die and in one page on um, by the way um i really like the fact that eric powell uh not only writes and draws but also inks his own work and his uh his wife is uh, the colorist a lot like mike allred but a, a very different style and we see him setting up the entire premise of the goon pretty much in three panels uh or introduced to the the streets of the waterfront, and then the goon's main nemesis, the zombie priest, and his hordes of zombies that are making a wasteland of everything west of Lonely Street, and then the zombie sworn enemies, the goon and his pal Frankie. Now, if anybody's uh, not familiar with the goon character, he looks like a giant hulking guy whose eye, whose face is uh, beaten. It looks kind of, uh, you know, it's seen better days. And we find out later in the, the story, in the more uh, serious uh, Chinatown a graphic novel, how that came to be. It's almost a little bit of the origin of the game. And Frankie is his wisecracking sidekick with the orphan Annie eyes. And as soon as he gets the introduction out of the way, a giant hand, I guess presumably the hand of God, stops the uh, the narrator from digressing into the backstory and keeping uh, the story on uh, the goon hitting fish <laughs> and not, not uh, getting too sidetracked or what have you. Uh, we, we meet the goon in... And Frankie uh, making their local rounds on the street. He's trying to uh, find Brickhead Johnny, who has gone uh, zombie on him. Roughs up a guy named Momo, snaps his neck in a very <laughs> grotesque way, and then realizes that he has made a mistake and leaves Momo in the middle of the street. Then a mysterious person comes out of the shadows and tells the goon where he can find Brickhead Johnny. Turns out this giant, this uh, person in the shadows is actually a giant fish. And he eats Momo. Just as the point, uh, Momo is like, well, maybe, you know, I can't feel my legs, but maybe being confined to a wheelchair will inspire me to be a famous playwright. It's all uphill from here. And then he gets eaten by a giant fish. I love the giant fish's decoy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It reminded me of uh, Finding Nemo, you know, that fish that has, like, the little light dangling, and everybody stares at the light, and then on the other end of the light is this giant, like, killer fish. Right. <laughs> It's kind of like a Lovecraftian spoof, too, you know, like the, the weird you know, fish creatures that take over the waterfront town, you know. Uh, Powell draws on so many different, like, pop culture touchstones and influences. It's one of the things I really love about the, the comic. Uh, and just the idea of fun. I mean, I mean, God knows, but Blackest Night is a great story, and, and Flash Rebirth is a great story, but they aren't goofy and fun like the Goon is, you know, and it's just that... I like enjoying, you know, fun comics. It's kind of like a palate cleanser after, you know, the greatest, uh, the great giant mega event uh, issues that are going on. So um, the goon goes down to the waterfront in search of Brickhead Johnny and instead finds Fishy Pete and his crew. He's taken, already taken both of Fishy Pete's arms and legs. And this, so uh, in revenge, he's gotten a group of deadly fishmen. And then we see Frankie's signature move. He, he he's, tells everyone to wait goes into a little bit soliloquy, and then knifes someone in the eye. <laughs> knife to the eye. <laughs> knife awesome. to the eye. <laughs> and he laughs. I love that bit. And then Fishy Pete and the crew turn on the goon and Frankie. It's a trap. <laughs> 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 but, 
uh, the, uh, the 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 fight is great. I mean, we see like one guys getting thrown in. Fishy Pete literally has two hooks, and he's it looks like a giant Cthulhu creature kind of with two peg legs and two hooks. We see Frankie feeding a brick to one of the fishy men, <laughs> and then the next panel, see, I told you it would fit. We see the fish man, <laughs> the brick shoved out his throat, and one of my favorite lines in all of the goon is here too. Ain't the bees knees to hear fish skulls cracking against the finest machine-tooled chrome-plated pipe wrench 1932 technology had to offer. <laughs> Fishy Pete is not done though, and goon's got beatings to spare for him. And then he meant the goon, the, uh, the fish, fishy Pete mentions the same uh, digression into the backstory as got the newscaster bumped by the giant fist, and then he gets bumped by the giant fist. Frankie has a new phobia, and the goon says, "Grab that guy with the squid head." Norton makes killer calamari, and thus ends the first adventure. Now, I think it's really. Oh, I'm sorry. Go I was going to ask just to be clear: the the, the giant fi- fist is is just nothing more than like you know the off screen narrator, if you will, just just there to, you know, he's just there for the story, right? It's nothing else, right? It's no, just it's, it's just a big else. fist. It's just a big fist. It's just a big fist, <laughs> just like in a, like like you were saying before the Looney Tunes references. It's just. It is what yeah. it is. It's the giant fist of the keeping the story on track. Yeah, right. It's the giant hook pulling the guy off stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, great, uh, great, great use of breaking the fourth wall. Yeah, I, I will just say. Yeah, I will just say it's funny because when I read when I read that and I got that vibe, I immediately thought of Monty Python. Um, only like five pages later to have another blatant Monty Python reference. Nope, isn't stop it, the sketch. It, it's far too silly. No, no, stop this. <laughs> isn't it another um I can't put my finger on the reference, but when the guy gets his neck broken earlier in the in the story and he's kind of sitting there going, you know, oh my neck, you know, I can't feel my legs. Isn't that a Python bit too? Like the guy just describing like everything that's wrong with him and he's like, Oh, I think I can still get along and then you know, Do you mean from the black knight? Like the black knight. Yeah, the maybe that's it. It definitely gave me a Monty Python vibe, but I couldn't put, put my finger on the scene that I was thinking of. Just a flesh wound? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's definitely it. This short story, though, really like sets the whole tone for the goon in the early stages of the goon. It's just very fun, light, funny. People, the violence is hilarious. And uh, just uh, it's a really good uh, opener for someone who really doesn't know what the goon's about. I think you know, if you show them this one comic, they'd be like, "Oh, okay," and then they'd have an idea of the premise. Now, is this how it was released? Like, if this was was that whole that's one story, one single issue? Because I just know it's like an eight page story. So, is that it by itself, or was it part of a, of another book with more pages? I believe it was part of Dark Horse Presents. Okay. Uh, to, to start with, that's why it was a shorter story, and then later it uh, started. It, be, it was a series of. Uh, a miniseries, and then became a series. Okay, thanks. But Jim, before we, I get jumping a little too far, just cause out of curiosity, because this is, most of us, this is our first exposure. So, was this your first exposure to the Goon, or had you read other stories, but this one just kind of stood out as, for you as one to do, or, I, you know, I guess, I guess where, are you, where are you coming from with it, and, you know, why, why, why did you choose this story? Well, to be honest, uh, uh, the two bouncers at my local bar, uh, Mick and Lee, I would like to shout out to them. And Lee, I'm sorry you missed Comic-Con this year, buddy, but I got some stuff for you. Uh, we we swap comics, tra- uh, graphic novels, and video games all the time. And uh, Lee, w- Lee uh, straight out asked me, he was like, have you read The Goon? And I said, no. And he said, are, are you sure you haven't read The Goon because it's something you would love? And I said, no, not at all. 
And he went and got the first three trades for me, brought them down to the restaurant. I read them that night and I went out and bought them. I gave them right back to him. Is he right? He was right. I loved it. I, just, I loved the nice mix of goofy and, and violent. And as the story goes on, it gets a little more uh, serious, especially, uh, again, in the Chinatown graphic novel, which kind of explains the backstory of how the goon became uh, who he is today, you know, and, and, and how and why. But that's how I came to it as a recommendation from a friend who uh, knew. I mean, we both uh, were really big on Hellboy, and, uh, and I mean, we have a similar tastes, so he knew that I would enjoy it and that's where I came from it and after I tried it I really liked it and ended up getting the whole run cool okay and our next story is uh, it's not really titled this but we're, I think we're just going to call it Goon versus the Haunted House uh, we see a little uh, backstory about um, a coin collector running off to his house to bury uh, to bury his loot and to hide it in the DeCaster uh, mansion and uh, evidently these coins are incredibly valuable and uh, buries loot in the basement and then gets killed pretty much by the house itself by a falling timber and he is pinned and uh, can't move his uh, back and then is tormented by the ghosts of the house in a little nod to house of mystery too on the on the on the third page on the bottom the, the screaming uh, letters in the background the silhouette of the house on the hill uh, very much like reminding me of DC uh, you know 70s horror comics and then we go from that little aside setting up what's going on with the DeCaster mansion to the goon uh, driving his red car down Lonely Street and with the giant squid attached to the front half uh, he's pumping a 38 caliber slug into the giant squid and then splats it against a um, telephone pole. As he does that, he sees the old, uh, the crazy old gypsy lady splashing in the mud, and she has some petrified cat's eyes strung on cinnamon dental floss for him. And he's like, uh, yeah, thanks for that. And he goes into Norton's pub, and he tells him that his ma's out playing in mud puddles and hanging out, handing out cat's eyes again. Norton's not happy about that. Tells her to get out of there and put down that rat. No, it doesn't look like Ultra Uncle Walter. And uh, they sit down and have some drinks, and then uh, the other uh, friend comes up, tells him that he's still looking for Brickhead Johnny, and uh, he's in the, say that he tells him the zombies have him shacked up in the back of Smeagol's Bakery. And then we uh, get a little break here with the Billy Lobotomy kit. It's a fake ad, very influenced by the you know the '70s ads you see in comic books. Human, it comes with a human head, a medical saw, suture. <laughs> And removing the vile minions of Satan through cerebral dissection manual. But don't worry, kids. All heads taken from convicts and soulless heathens. <laughs> Everyone used to call me dummy, but now, thanks to the skills I learned from the Billy Lobotomy kit, I'm the smartest kid in class. And that's a nice <laughs> little picture of Billy and his kit digging into some uh, human's brain. And it says, there's a chalkboard in the background, and it has cat, K-A-T. Yeah. <laughs> And two plus two is six. <laughs> e equals H two O. What I love about this is on the page before it's like the old comics where it at the bottom you get continued on second page following. Um, you know, just like when they used to shove ads in there because for some reason we weren't smart enough to figure out that the next page was an ad and not to read it like it was part of the story that we would, you know, have to move on. But the other thing, since Powell, you know draws and, color and, and uh, you know, pencils and inks the whole thing, it really shows off his range, you know, between the covers and between, you know, his changing up the styles on the pages and then we get to these ads, you know, it really shows off his range. Plus, it's like, it's, it's totally uh, aware that it's a comic book. 
You know, it doesn't have pretensions to be uh, premised to a screenplay or anything. It's, it's definitely, by playing with the conventions of the comic book, it's very much saying, hey, this is a comic book. Enjoy it as such. Yep. So uh, Frankie and the Goon end up at Smeagol's Bakery. They find Brickhead Johnny. Here's my Monty and, Python uh, reference. He's watching Monty Python. No one expects the Spanish Inquisition. Right. Our chief weapon is surprise. Surprise and fear. Our two weapons are surprise and fear and an almost fanatical devotion to the Pope. Our three. Our three weapons. <laughs> <laughs> Bring out the comfy chair. Now, the goon uh, talks to his good friend Brickhead Johnny by, by nailing him to a wall. Literally. Uh, Brickhead Johnny has gone zombie. His face is all green. And he's about to take care of business. And uh, Johnny tells him he knows where the Matheson collection is. And those are the uh, coins that were referenced at the beginning of the story. The very valuable coins. The goon says, well, you know, you were a pal of mine when you were living, Johnny. You know, I always shoot straight with my pals. And uh, Johnny tells him, what happened? A guy named Samuel Loom went to the house, hid the coins in the basement. And uh, the goon walks out. Johnny is still nailed to the wall. He says, come on, aren't you going to let me down? We're pals. And the goon says, I ain't pals with no stinking zombie. And blows a hole through his head. So, just you know, just in case there was any question on where the goon stands on zombies, <laughs> there it is. But I love it. It's, it's almost like, you know, things like Family Guy and stuff like that, where there's like fish people and zombies and people are just, it's just a part of daily life. It's, you know, no no big deal. You know, every is just part of the world and everybody just kind of goes on about their merry way. It's just kind of funny. I like how the zombie head with the bullet hole in the forehead kind of like transcends over a few panels, or I guess two panels. You know, how it droops down into the panel beneath it and it's kind of connected to the panel on the right. Mm-hmm. It's just a cool layout, something different. You don't see much of that. I think I figured out why I compared it to Chester Gould. If you look up the D- the Dick Tracy character, the Tramp, the goon looks just like him with um, the hat and everything. Yeah, he kind of reminds me of Marv from Sin yeah. City. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a little bit of Popeye mixed in there somewhere in his attitude, or not really his look, but those are the kind of things that he was reminding me of. First one I went to was uh, Bebo Babowski from Superman. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, with the docs, the docs and stuff with him. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. Yeah, we definitely see the Marv thing in the uh, the Christmas uh, story that's coming up soon. Uh, the goon and, the, and Frankie show up at the uh, the haunted house by themselves, and uh, Frankie brought sandwiches. Good for him. Mm-hmm. And uh, they start pulling down uh, floorboards, and Frankie pretty much smashes himself in the head with a floorboard. And the goon makes contact with some of the more grisly members, very shining like of the house. A little girl comes out and it's been so long since I've had someone to play with me, much like the twins in The Shining. And then he looks at her a little longer and a little longer and it turns out her face is a hideous, contorted mess. And then again, we get the uh, continued on the second page following and we see an ad for Mengele's Pet Shop with, uh, I guess it's a version of, uh, it's a a shout out to uh, Joseph Mengele, the, um, (laughs) the the Nazi doctor, exactly. And uh, he is like uh, his Nazi is um, you know very you know very bad German accent uh, written. Wouldn't also transplanted privates of the large hippopotamus, you know, like uh, Ludwig van Duck or whatever. And his assistant's wearing a Nazi helmet. And uh, he's, he mentions gerbils and the other assistant gerbils. Fair, fair. I said gerbils, gerbils. And then a group of mooks come in and start attacking the Nazis, and the ad is over. 
So, and then uh, they plug the, there's a dog with an electrical outlet and it says, we now return you to our regularly scheduled program. And uh, I think it, this is a good choice for him because, you know, the story is starting to get a little more horrific, a little more uh, scary. And then to break it up with that kind of, uh, you know, um, out there humor, I thought was really kind of a cool uh, like palate cleanser, if you will. It's kind of an interesting thing how Eric Powell's kind of uh, circumnavigated both the indie comic world and then the mainstream comic world. Of course, his most notable mainstream stuff was Action Comics with Jeff Johns during the Escape from Bizarro arc. But I'm I'm just wondering, you know, as, as far as, you know, name recognition stuff, you know, how many other folks are out there that, you know, aren't on people's radars? I think that's one of the goals of, you know, like we were talking about earlier, the goals of like the SPX show. Because, I mean, how many years has Eric Powell been hustling for, I'm not going to say name recognition, but, you know, recognition of, of his work and stuff. I mean, that's, that's an awful lot. That's an awful lot, exactly. And, and I, upon reading the Bizarro stuff, looked his stuff up, and, you know, it's like one thing informs the other. But it's just interesting how the interplay happens between the indie world and then the mainstream world with the big two. Well, that's what happened with uh, Men in Black. It was an indie comic that then became a, you know, a major motion picture. And now The Goon is being made into a 3D CGI uh, uh, movie as well. It's about produced by David Fincher, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, I mean, you know, these guys yeah. toiled away in the, in the indie uh, market for a long time. But eventually, you know, a good, good premise and a good idea a lot of times will out, you know. Is that a, um, is that a DVD release or is that like a, uh, you know, a motion picture for theaters and everything? It's going to be a theatrical release. Cool. Yeah, they had some stills come out for it, and it looks really sweet. Yeah, it's super true. It's very true to the art style. Yeah, yeah, it's CG, but it's very cartoony looking. Well, after our uh, commercial interruption, uh, the goon is still being attacked by the little zombie girl. He takes an axe to her face, and the uh, the haunted uh, denizens of the house make him think that he's killed Frankie. And then the, uh, the ghosts are ready to torment his soul. They knock him, and he sees that Frankie isn't dead. Frankie is actually alive. And uh, Frankie, on the uh, while the goon is fighting the ghost in the place, Frankie, on the other hand, is taking on the sandwich. Uh, the sandwich <laughs> is attacking him. Uh, evidently, the ghosts are making him hallucinate somehow, and he's, uh, he's he's being attacked by the own sandwich that he brought. It's biting me! It's biting me! The lettuce is crisp! The lettuce is crisp! And uh, the, the entirety of the uh, haunted crew from the house confront the goon. And uh, in, into one giant green skulled form again, like very EC Comics, a uh, very Vault of Horror, or Tales from the Crypt type thing. And then the Goon Real, remember, is he has the uh, the cat's eyes strung on the cinnamon dental floss. And the ghost asks, "That dental floss is it cinnamon flavored?" And then the Goon realizes that with that in his hand, he could touch the ghost. And anything he can touch, he can punch. And he does so. And in the meantime, Frankie is triumphing over a sandwich. <laughs> you, you ain't so tough only sissies have mayo if you were a real sandwich you'd have mustard it's one of my favorite lines here loony old people who play in the mud is there anything they don't know yeah <laughs> so I could, again when this is released as a movie I could see a lot of really great one lines but they hey. uh, the goon and Frankie make it out of there with the coins they burn the haunted house down Frankie says the first thing he's going to do is make a giant solid gold statue of Rita Hayworth naked and then he's going to run, fl- uh, rub fluffy, buttery biscuits all over her nakedness. <laughs> and the goon admonishes him, you and your biscuit fetish. Because yeah, the biscuits are is what makes that weird. Yeah, right. Not the solid gold <laughs> statue or anything. And then the next panel we see Frankie blowing $8 million on Sinatra's ruby-studded underpants. 
So that explains where all the money went. He yells out eight million at the auction, and, and right away I just pictured like the bid before him was like four bucks. <laughs> he, just, he just yells out eight million. <laughs> okay, so that ends the haunted house um, adventure of the goon and Frankie, and now we uh, go on to another story of the goon. It's a little more of the uh, the ongoing tale of the goon versus the zombie priest. We have a drunk explain to us. Uh, who the goon is in the splash page, and there's the uh, the typical goon uh, stance of him and the wife beater in the green pants. Then we meet the zombie priest, and he realizes that the zombie knows something that he needs to know about. He needs to know the uh, the whereabouts of Labrazio, who is the goon's boss. Who's the, uh, he is who the goon enforces for. There's no way he can extract the information himself with the zombie priestness. Although the one zombie tries to make him feel better by singing tomorrow from Annie. Uh, for him. Throughout the whole but, story. <laughs> yeah. So he goes to see his demon lord, Evitz, uh, Steve Backwards. And Evitz is a um, giant uh, boxer, short-wearing, goat-headed, um, pipe-smoking, uh, television-watching uh, demon in a dark dimension, very much like Marvel's uh, you know, Negative Zone or the, you know, the dark dimension from Doc, Doc Strange. Don't forget the nipple piercings and the... Uh... Oh, and the insect eyes. Yeah, segment and bug eyes, yeah. <laughs> right, and what kind of hat would you call that? Like a, a fez. Um, Tell me a fez. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> that is certainly a fez. So uh, the zombie priest blackmails Evitz uh, with some information that he had about an inflatable chicken and a bucket of bacon grease in Tahoe. And then Evitz realizes, okay, he doesn't want that getting out. <laughs> so uh, he says, Hi, I must know what this man knew. And Evitz is like, you dummy, just get a bog lurk to eat the head and he'll tell you. Now get out of here, it's time for cake, and you can't have any. So the zombie priest takes off from Evans. And the zombie uh, chorus is still singing tomorrow. Right, yeah. they're still singing yeah. tomorrow when he comes back. <laughs> I, I guess, I'm sorry, I, I could see that oh, in the animated movie. If they can get the, the rights to that song, I get to love to see that. Yeah. Oh yeah, it'd be hilarious, zombie singing tomorrow. <laughs> So we uh, we go from the zombie priest to uh, the goon and Frankie at Norton's, uh, as usual. The goon asks where Spider is, and uh, Norton asks, you know, what's Goon's beef? You better not know, Norton. Goon breaks down the doors, breaks the, the table in half, tells Spider, I want my money. And Spider is a giant spider, literally, wearing a derby. <laughs> and everyone's freaking out. The goon's gone mad. So he... Uh, he chokes uh, Spider out a little bit. Spider bites him and is like, "Calm down, Goon. You made me, t- you made me do that." And then he knocks Spider out. Tells Norton to put the damages on his tab. And then he says, "When Spider wakes up, tell me he still owes me five bucks." They went through all that for five bucks. If I don't get it next week, I'm taking it out of his mama's hide. <laughs> Frankie makes a note. Spider still owes five. <laughs> I think we realize uh, here the goon has to make sure that he shows that, uh, off how tough he is, so people don't question, you know, where Labrasio is or what, you know, whether, you know, Labrasio left him in charge while he was gone or anything. Just trying to keep everyone, uh, you know, copacetic with uh, the way things are going. We go back to the zombie priest who has summoned a boglurk, which looks kind of like uh, Grendel. It's kind of a weird swampy uh, skunk ape type thing. I just thought it looked like the Legion of Do- uh, Legion of Doom dome coming out of the swamp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. I didn't, I didn't catch that. It's a good catch, but yeah, totally. Bog uh, lurk comes. I hear. I come. And at the bottom of the page, 
we go back to Frankie who is saying, I don't care what that hoochie coochie girl says. It ain't true. And besides, I don't even own an inflatable chicken. They're, uh, the goon says, just telling you what I heard. <laughs> so, uh, they <laughs> so uh, we find the goon and Frankie uh, duct taping someone to a telephone pole who has tried to uh, shake down the local ice cream man. And then he uh, tells the kids, the next one, the first one to hit this kid between the eyes with a rock gets a double scoop on me. And the ice cream man's pretty happy. You good man, Mr. Goon. No good police help no one. And the goon says, don't mention it. Where's my money? And, the Frank, and Frankie interjects, hey, that fat kid just clocked him in the ground with a brick. Way to go, fatty. <laughs> and they see the bogler running down the street. And uh, Frankie remarks, oh, hey, look, it's a Sasquatch. We're hoofing it down the street. And nobody really pays attention because, you know, that's kind of normal for the waterfront. Uh, the bogler comes in and uh, the zombie priest tells him to eat the head. The bogler like, uh, says, are you crazy? It's not even cooked. I can't believe you drug me here for all that. So that doesn't work. So they strap him to a table, and uh, the zombies feed him with a shovel. Force feed, for it. It. force feed him like I have to feed my kids sometimes. Here comes the airplane, making <laughs> I can just see him. So uh, the they force feed the uh, the head to the boglark. The zombie priest says an incantation, and he finds out that Labrazio is dead. The goon saw this guy that was killed by the goon saw Labrazio's grave, and the goon had to kill him to keep the secret that Labrasio was dead, and thus keep order in the waterfront. We go back to uh, the Goon and Frankie at the ice cream uh, stand. They got some, uh, they're in the middle of a new conversation. I swear, 20 feet at least. Ha, did they ever find the squirrel? <laughs> <laughs> and someone hits the Goon in the back of the head uh, with a rock. And uh, nobody messes with the man when he's eating his ice cream. And the Boglerk has been taken over by the spirit of the guy that was killed by the Goon. So he yells, you killed me at the Goon. And the goon says, wrong tense, pal. I'm gonna kill you. He figures you know, he has his verb tense wrong or whatever. And then he finds out that Labrazio's little secret is out. And that makes him really mad. And then we get to see them in this giant uh, two-page spread. Uh, the goon calling the, the boglark a dirty egg-sucking dog and going to town on him. Um, I really like this double spread, too. Just the two of them. It really you know, showcases... Um, I mean, even in the background, you see like the endless procession of... Uh, uh, telephone poles and, and like rickety houses you know it's just uh, it's a really cool uh, piece of art one of the things that I noticed throughout the book and I think it even makes the it kind of accentuates the humor is uh, there's a lot of things that happen off panel you know, I think I think a lot of times in comics we get force fed stuff a lot and you know everything gets seen on panel or something is happens off panel it's come back to you later and, and then we see it either you know at a different time or from a you know, different perspective or whatever. So I just think it's funny here that, uh, you know, some of this funny stuff that happens happens off panel or like on the couple pages prior where we're coming in on a conversation halfway through, which makes it even funnier to, to hear the kind of how it That reminds me of some podcast that starts their show like that. Um, yeah. What is it? Half hour? Hour and a half. What's it called? Wasted. 30 minutes wasted, something like that. But they kind of do something similar to that, don't they? I mean, yeah. Eric Powell is obviously stealing from Half Hour Wasted, yeah. obviously. The next page we see uh, your, your classic uh, comic book style fight with the big pals, cluds, and then the Bogler runs up to the top of the, this like ramshackle tower and kind of stabs the goon in the shoulder with a TV antenna. And then uh, Frankie, who hasn't been seen during this whole fight, yells, hey, monkey, catch, and throws him 
box with a ring uh, attached to a string to it. And Frankie yells, Goon, pull the string! And sure enough, it's an inflatable chicken. Referenced earlier, it knocks the Boglark off the tower to uh, the ground below, thus winning the day. I, r- I really dig how they, uh, how he mentions things that come into play later. You know, we saw it with the uh, the eyeballs on the string of dental floss and now the inflatable chicken. And it, it's cool, you know, as you read more and more, you can try to, like, pick out what you think is going to pop up again later. You know what I mean? Plus, it's so absurd, like, every time. I mean, how have you ever seen a, a comic book fight ended with an inflatable piece of poultry? I mean, I haven't before this. No. Yeah. The goon admonishes him and tells him, oh, so you don't own an inflatable chicken, huh? Oh, shut up. And the boggler wakes up. Why is it every time I come into town, I end up unconscious in a ditch with a rubber chicken and no idea how I got there? <laughs> Sounds like college. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. And then uh, this issue ends with the, um, the zombie priest realizing that Labrazio is dead and he's been chasing a dead man all this time. That it wasn't Labrazio he's really after, it was the goon. And that the goon is smarter than he thought. And the goon has been running the show. And that ends this episode of The Goon uh, with a um, another great ad parody for the Mega Body Pill. Definitely a nod to the old Charles Ellis uh, dynamic tension ads you get to see in um, the old school comic books. Over 600 billion units sold in Kentucky alone. <laughs> terrorists, hate, yeah, terrorists hate the Mega Body Pill. The, the, the list of warnings just kills me. It's, it's so... You know, I mean, it's just a total rip on you know commercials you see nowadays for the medication of the man, where it seems that the the you know the cure is worse than the disease. Right. Uncontrollable flatulence stands out. Yeah, I, I think that was actually one for the back when. Do you remember Olestra when they had the, the potato chips <laughs> yeah. made with Olestra? Oh yeah. I think yeah, that was yeah. actually one of them. You yeah, know, that in uh, anal leakage. <laughs> Ooh, yeah! Wow. One of the ones down here, too, is testicular hemorrhage. That's not good. That's not good at all. Two words that should never be in the same sentence together. (laughs) No, not at all. Not at all. (laughs) Okay, the next issue of The Goon, we uh, see the cover. The shocking origin of Buzzard, the creature that feeds on the flesh of the dead. Because you demanded it, cannibalism. (laughs) I I don't recall demanding it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Even Frankie not- says, now that's just nasty. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't demand it, but you're not sad that you got it. No, I guess I'll give you that. Now, the first couple pages of this story, we see the goon sleeping, and he is having a really bad dream of from of the past. And these are, it's kind of funny because these exact panels and words tie into Chinatown later in the goon story. It kind of explains how the goon became the goon in a lot of ways. And these dreams that he's having now kind of set up that story down the road, which I think is like five or six trades down the road. So it's one of those things of the creator, the comic writer, really having a long-term goal for the character and like planting seeds for stories ahead of time, even in something as silly and, and goofy as the goon. This is the only time in, in this book, at least, I think we see his eyes. Usually he's got his hat on. Uh, over yeah, there. right. And That's right. That is the first time I noticed it. And his eyes are pretty screwed up there. Yeah, it's definitely the uh, first time. It's the first time I see Frankie without his hat, too. And Stella's in his bed. Frankie, what's going on? Get back in bed, Stella. This don't concern you. And the Fra- <laughs> Frankie is obviously concerned for his friend. He's like, was it Chinatown? And he said, look, maybe you should. And then the goon says, maybe you should mind your own business. This is the most serious the goon gets in this whole uh, uh, trade, actually. Right. 
and Frankie is understood pal. Like I said, the Chinatown uh, graphic novel uh, Down the Lagoon is, is a little more noir. It's a little more serious, but man, it's really powerful writing. It's really good. They get a call on the phone that uh, Milo had just swiped a truck full of Mexican porn. He wants to know if they can take it off his hands, and they go. And they offer him 50 bucks for the truck, and then 40 because he has to compensate for the time he's wasting while Milo is running his mouth. So Milo pries up in the truck, and it's a setup. It's full of zombies. There's uh, dozens of zombies in the back of the truck. Makes uh, the goon mad. Milo is like, but I'm under their protection now, goon. And the next panel shows Milo's face being crushed by a brick thrown by the goon. <laughs> well, I thought it was funny that I noticed it right off as he said he'd give him 50 bucks for the truck. He doesn't want what's in the truck. He just wants the truck. <laughs> and then 40 bucks and then 30 bucks. He's like, no, you can, you know, you can keep, keep your merchandise. Just give me, I'll give you 30 bucks for the truck. So the goon does what he starts to do what he does best, which is beating up on zombies from Lonely Street. And then one of the zombies who has a gun pointed at the goon gets his arm shot off and looks up. And there's a shadowy figure on the top of one of the ramshackle houses. And this guy is so fearsome that even the zombies are afraid of him. He comes down looking very much like a, um, like Solomon Kane or the Shadow or something. And uh, has a very special shotgun to begin with. He goes to town on the zombies and then pulls out six shooters and finishes off the rest. And Frankie looks around at all the dead zombies. I could have done that. And the goon says, you can barely write your own name. <laughs> and the buzzard uh, recognizes one of the zombies as being named Laszlo. And he said, I don't, I'm not going to kill you because I want you to tell the preacher that I'm coming for him. And this guy, buzzard, bites off Laszlo's fingers and starts eating them. And the zombie starts screaming, I've been shot and my fingers have been bitten off. My fingers have bitten off and I've been shot. The buzzard, buzzard reacts, you taste like crap, Laszlo. <laughs> he finds a live zombie and then he starts eating and then Frankie asks the goon, is he eating that dead guy alive? Yeah. I mean, live, dead, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I think he is. And Frankie replies, well, uh, dang, I ain't seen nothing that nasty since... I ain't never seen nothing that nasty. <laughs> so he says, uh, hi, how you doing? Uh, thanks for helping us with the zombies. And uh, I don't remember, and then uh, the guy replies, I don't remember my right name, but some folks call me Buzzard. And he said, well, you seem to know the priest's right-hand man, Laszlo. What's the story? And I love this. This is like one of my favorite panels in the book right here. We have half the panel is done in the regular uh, ink and color style of the goon. And the other half of Buzzard's face is done in this very, like, washed uh, pencil sketch, um, sepia tone type thing, denoting a flashback to uh, frontier times. And it's, uh, it's really a cool effect, and, um, you know, going into the flashback that way. I thought, anyway. It's kind of like we mentioned before, where it's kind of cool that Powell gets to show off his range. You know, it's not just, you know, the cartoony look of the book, but, but he works in, you know, reasons to kind of show different styles. And, you know, his, his range as an artist, you know, how much talent he really has. He uses the same technique later in this in the series as well to denote a flashback. Uh, to do it, he'll use different uh, drawing styles. Uh, um, much like they did in uh, Cap, actually, in Captain America, uh, to, del you know, to delineate the um, flashbacks from the present day. And I think it's pretty effective. We meet the, uh, the town of Simple Folk that he came from, and his daddy is, Martha, get in the bedroom, we're going to need another farmhand. <laughs> oh, jo oh, George, I'm tired of birthing farmhand. Believe me, woman, it ain't no picnic for me either. <laughs> <laughs> 
we see the uh, a stranger come to town, who we recognize as the uh, the zombie priest, with his brother Laszlo, who is uh, the one that uh, he just ate the fingers off of and almost killed the goon. He's a new preacher come to town, and then uh, the the sheriff, uh, who is uh, um, buzzard now, says, "Well, you got about two weeks to do your little traveling medicine show. Then I want you out of here." In that two weeks, he whips the uh, he tried to he tries to kick the preacher out. The town won't have it. There, uh, he's a holy man. You know, my crops yielded twice as much. The blessings that uh, the, the, the the priest is giving him is is helping them out. And then slowly but surely, he realizes that the zombie priest is uh, bringing people back to life. People started to die, and it was, the way he puts it, folks started to die. Folks started to die and get back up. And the plague swept through the town and never infected him or any of the livestock. So pretty much everybody who went to the revival fell victim to this plague and became a zombie in the service of the zombie priest. The whole town that he was supposed to be uh, in charge of. So he, he was like, well, if I'm the only sane person in this town, I'm going to arm up, I'm going to ride, and I'm going to kill every dead zombie in my path. So he does that, and he wades through an ocean of death and gore, as he puts it. He gets to the zombie priest's tent. Zombie priest zaps him with this weird kind of uh, energy or whatever, some side of bolt, as he describes it. And uh, he realizes that he'd use zombie magic on a living person. So since the zombie magic was used on a living person, he has to eat the flesh of the dead, as opposed to the zombies having to eat the flesh of the living. So he's kind of a reverse zombie. And that explains why Buzzard is eating the zombies that he comes across. On the on the page before this last page where they get ready to transition back to the present when when he's riding on the horse with the shotgun, to me that reminded me so much of, of Bruce Campbell, his Ash from uh, Evil Dead and um, Army of Darkness. It just just the look on his face and just, you know the, again the shotgun and the shirt. Yeah, really. That's a whole Western uh, stereotype too of like high noon, like the one the one you know lone man against uh, you know an army of of uh, evil. Yeah, in this case. Evil, uh, That's showing some real art chops. The uh, the sketch with the horse and uh, the rider with the shotgun and everything. It's like you were saying, Russ, about his range. You know, he really has talent in, in different styles. Mm-hmm. And when you think about how few guys really do the writing and the art equally as well, you know, I mean, you think of guys like you know Frank Miller or you know Dave Giddens or you know that both write and draw. And I just think you know, the fact that he not only be able to set this really cool style kind of halfway between Looney Tunes and EC Comics, but also to be able to branch off in this style. Like the very last panel showing Buzzard over the in the graveyard. You know, it kind of puts me in the mind of like, uh, I don't know, like maybe like a Frank Frazetta rendering of Gollum or something. You know what I mean? With the bones and everything. It's just, uh, it's really super impressive to me. So uh, we come back into the present day and uh, we, the Buzzard says he vowed to track the preacher down and make him pay for what he's done. He's found him. And the goon tells me he can't go down there. Buzzard says, you can't stop me. He says, let me go. I ain't got nothing left. And the goon says, fine, go ahead and get yourself killed. The goon explains if it's that easy to walk down Lonely Street and kill the zombie priest. He'd have already done it by now. <laughs> and then we see this awesome uh, two-page spread of Buzzard making his way down Lonely Street and telling uh, the zombie priest he's going to kill him and the zombie priest sending all of his minions. And uh, this, this great five-panel ending of the story uh, just showing the silhouette of Buzzard and his guns and the silhouettes of the zombies slowly filling up the panel until the final panel is just a big blam. And then it says, end, question mark at the end. Yeah, it's a real cool page. 
Just so, I, just, so, just so I know, beyond this tray, we, we see him again? He does pop up later on in the All story. Right, that's enough. So uh, anything to say about the buzzard uh, um, issue? I really like the way he sets up the character, and it kind of makes sense to the whole zombie magic thing that a person who was zombified while he was still alive would have to eat the flesh of the undead. It kind of makes sense in a weird, morose way, you know? Yeah, I like yeah, the way he's I, building a world, kind of giving us glimpses of, of all different parts of this world that he's creating. And, you know, like you said, he, he comes back to it. So he's creating, like, his own continuity to play in, you know, kind of like Invincible or um, Walking Dead. You know, he's, he's expanding on the whole world that these characters live in. Exactly. He's planting seeds that, he, that can flower into stories later on. It's a good point. And we see an ad here for the, uh, the greatest hero of the Golden Age, the Atomic Rage. I love it. Yeah, it's just like the, the most generic <laughs> Kirby um, guy yeah. ever. <laughs> yeah. Busting in on Hitler and, uh, and uh, your typical stereotypical Nazi scientist. I, I, at the bottom of the word balloon, hey kids, join me as I show the high-stepping animals what one good American with a nuclear blast-firing brain can do. <laughs> I love the X'd out curses. Yes. Yeah. Look at the word really bubble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Blank my big atomic blank, you blank and blank and commie blank. <laughs> I'm sure you can sit here and try to figure out what they were, too, if you're really bored. Yeah, it's not that hard. <laughs> no, no, it's not that hard to figure out. And I, I love story. Those, those, oh, I'm sorry. I, I, just, I love the caption at the top. Watch out, his brain is nuclear. <laughs> it's so crazy. Or Saga family, I guess I should say. <laughs> it's on stands out for 12 cents. So go get it, guys. <laughs> Our next story is the Goon Christmas story. And the cover for this one is a recreation of a Norman Rockwell-style uh, Saturday Evening Post uh, um, thing with the goon having fallen asleep with a bag full of toys and a bunch of demonic little heads with uh, arms and legs, pulling a gun on him, stabbing his toys, eating one of the dolls, and pouring uh, red paint all over the teddy bear. So we start out with the caption Christmas Eve and two kids sitting by the fire talking about what they what they want for Christmas. I'm getting a little Susie Sue doll. I'm getting Nuclear the evil robot action figure with an explodable face. I'm getting a pony, a pink one. I'm getting a shotgun and a candy bar. <laughs> <laughs> and they hear scratching at the window and they think it's Cinna. And the girls, hurry, open the window or my pony will freeze to death. They open the window and little demonic hands seem to uh, pull them out of the window and they're gone. Uh, the next thing we see uh, Frankie on the phone uh, to his ma uh, for Christmas, and uh, his girlfriend is going to be there. She's visiting family. The goon wants to make sure that his mom is making that dressing, because man, that's good dressing. <laughs> and he uh, packs the car up with uh, all kinds of gifts. That's uh, ready to go. Uh, Frankie asks him, you know, uh, they, what you think it might be a sentimental moment? You know, the goon is like, you know what I love about this time of year, Frankie. And for you guys, you know, the festive decorating? No. The sense of goodwill going through the place? No. Well, what then? All the stinking zombies is frozen to the street. <laughs> and <laughs> he runs over some the zombie <laughs> sickles. Yeah, it's hilarious. Zombies can't talk because they're frozen and they, um, they have icicles all over their mouths and whatnot. It's pretty hilarious. Uh, they just and shatter it, when the car hits them. <laughs> right. Total zombie sickle action. And uh, they drive off laughing into the, into the, uh, the back of the panel. Next, we see um, two hobos griping about their life. <laughs> and 
And I said, gripe and complain about, oh, you know, they're all inside eating turkey. We're out here. Blah, blah, blah. You get a tap on the shoulder, and there are these little, um, they look like heads with arm, demonic arms and legs attached. And then uh, they realize, I take it all back. I love my barrel. Joy to the world. But it's too late. The little guys uh, grabbed him. And, uh, you know, again, we're off panel. The Goon and Frankie show up at uh, Norton's Bar with uh, presents for everyone. And uh, they pass on the eggnog. And then uh, one of the little kids comes up to Frankie says, Hey, I got a Captain Weirdo Junior Spaceman helmet for Christmas. Ain't it the bee's knees? And Frankie offers to swap him a pig's head for it. Right. <laughs> and the kid considers the kid it. Says, yeah, right. He's like, where'd you get the pig head? And <laughs> Frankie's like, that don't, that don't concern you. You trading or not? <laughs> well, there's a mighty fine pig head. Yes, I was going to look at his face, too. He's just like totally into examining this pig head. <laughs> right. It's hilarious. So the next page, we see the goon uh, talking to Myrna, who's uh, the local hottie siren uh, type, very you know, very Jessica Rabbity uh, in, a, in a weird way. And Myrna follow, uh, definitely uh, plays into the goon's backstory as well as well as her brother Skinny, uh, who he talks about again. It's you know, uh, Air Powell telling a bigger story, you know, piece by piece in all the little little stories. And uh, Myrna's kind of coming on to him, and then a woman comes in looking for the goon's help her children are gone uh, she doesn't know what happened to them and the goon asks does that bear belong to the kids and then finds Frankie and asks where the werewolf Mer- uh, Merle is and we see that Frankie has successfully traded the pig head for the junior spaceman helmet <laughs> Frankie's wearing the helmet so it must have been a successful trade so he calls Merle over and says get a sniff of this we're going to try to find these kids and the next page is a double page spread of Merle the werewolf having turned into a wolf at this point Frankie with his junior spaceman helmet and the goon. Uh, again, another another really nice double page spread. So uh, Merle follows the scent. Frankie asks, uh, "How come you're giving Murder the cold shoulder?" And uh, Goon says, "Well, I look like a shaved gorilla with twenty pounds of ground beef for a head. <laughs> no team <laughs> that looks like that would be into me unless she wanted something." <laughs> and then uh, Merle interjects, uh, "You know, who cares? Use them and throw them away." And Frankie says. We've been out with a woman since old lady Crenshaw had her operation to get her sight back. <laughs> I'm so lonely, Rick Merle. And then we get another uh, fake page of the Atomic Rage. Uh, only it's a Christmas issue. He's wearing a Santa hat and a robe. Ho, 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 you blanking alien blankety blanks. Blank my Yule log, blank, blank, blank lips. <laughs> I'm desperately here trying to work my way through the through the, the scratch heads to figure out what the words really are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's pretty hilarious. So, and again, you know, watch out. His brain is nuclear. And uh, I love, like Silver Age, uh, little green men with antennas. And I love how the comment is by uh, Eric Powell praising the book. Johnny Woodward's classic, The Atomic Age, is a book that made me want to draw a comic, Eric Powell. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know it's good if it's, uh, it's uh, you know supported by Eric Powell, right? That's right. So we get back to the story, the Christmas story of the goon. And all the little uh, crazy giant head guys with the demonic arms and legs. Evidently, somebody's looking for them. They're afraid of him. He's called the Saint. Sure enough, Frankie and the goon and Merle find the little demonic guys in their little uh, tunnel. And they come out and attack. Merle runs away with his tail between his legs, literally. Uh, he has an unnatural phobia of midget hands, we find <laughs> out from Frankie. <laughs> And uh, he also, watch out, they're rabid. And the one sp- spreads his mouth wide, way wider than he should be able to and swallows the goon's head. 
and top half of his body pretty much. And the other two have Frankie wrestled down, and they're about to eat him. All of a sudden, we see a bull whip crack from off panel. Uh, it first cracks the one about to eat Frankie, then pulls the other one off the goon's head. Goon and Frankie look up, and there's Santa Claus, a, a giant stag, yelling, Back to work! And it turns out that these are the elves that make the toys <laughs> at, at the North Pole. Beautiful take little, on it. Yeah, this little demonic, we don't want to make toys no more. Run for it. You know, and being and, that uh, it's a Christmas issue, you would have thought when they said the saints coming after us that we would have put it together then. Right. It's a perfect twist. You know, you've read this type of story so many times over the course of your life that your brain just doesn't make the, you know, your brain can't make the switch without being shown that, Sand is actually the villain in this version. Yeah. It's only slave labor and stuff. The goon asks him, well, these little freaks ate a couple of kids. What am I supposed to tell their mother? And evidently their digestive systems are very slow. So they pull out the kids. They also pull out the um, the bums from before that they ate. Mommy. You know, they barf mommy, them all up. The teeth, mommy. So many, <laughs> so many teeth. Don't worry, kid. A couple of years of therapy and you'll be right as rain. <laughs> Yeah, we don't know them. <laughs> yeah, right. So he finally collects all of his elves, and then Frankie's like, Hey, Santa, if you exist, how come you never brought me nothing? Santa answers him, <laughs> Because you're a rotten little blank, that's why. <laughs> and Frankie, and, fair enough. <laughs> Santa collects his elves, and uh, they run off into the, he goes off into the Milky Way, and... Uh, Goon tells the Merle, uh, tells Merle the werewolf it's okay uh, to come out now, and uh, orders him to uh, get the uh, the kids and the hoes to the uh, the party, and thus sends the Christmas tissue. Goon, perfect. <laughs> any more any Yeah, I really, I love how you know you're expecting like some sort of saccharine, uh, you know, story, and then it just totally turns all that on its ear, and it's just hilarious. It's kind of like a Simpsons treehouse, treehouse horror, horror yeah. you know. Even though that's Halloween, so you would more expect the twists than in something for Christmas, but it still has that feel that, you know, you never know exactly what's going on. I guess it's, it's like the, uh, well, on Futurama, Santa Claus is the big evil robot where <clears throat> on Christmas Eve at midnight everybody runs back into their house and <laughs> Santa doesn't catch him. <laughs> and our final story of the trade is um, the, uh, the magician in town, and it starts out with a one page parody of Conan, the beginning of Conan the Barbarian, the movie, where they ask Conan, you know, what is best in life? Only this, his name is Cronin, as to avoid uh, you know, <laughs> trademark infringement. And the answer is, to crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and hear the lamentation of their women. And the guy answers, wrong! You, what is best in life? And he's a simpleton with his helmet to one side, and he says, pie! And everyone agrees. Yeah! <laughs> So evidently, pie is what's best in life. And uh, yes, that man loved his pie, and his offspring became a long line of pie lovers. And though the goon was not related to that man, he too loved pie. I am I'm a pie guy. What do you guys, uh, pie or cake? Uh, pie. Pie. Me too. I no, like I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on the name. I'm looking for the name now, now. But when I saw the scene with pie, I just was immediately, immediately reminded of the, uh, um, the descendant of Christ in Preacher. Oh, yeah. Uh, Humper Dumper Dido. Humper Dido. <laughs> it does look like it. Uh, right. So we uh, we follow the pie loving goon with Frankie, and Frankie's all dressed up because he's on he's going on a date with his girl, 
and uh, he's meeting her at, at uh, Norton's Bar, and they're going to go see Bizarrus Draxton, the, um, or the Bizarre uh, Draxton Enigma, who is a uh, stage magician, very much in the line of like Ibis or uh, Sora, Sargon the Sorcerer or you know any other evil stage magician from uh, you know these kind of stories. And we, we see Frankie's girlfriend for the first time, but we don't see her face. And this is something that continues through the entire story of the Goon. We see her body. We see like her in the f- first scene. We see her. We see her hands, but we never see her face. We always see her from behind or in shadow. And uh, Frankie goes off with his date to go see the magician, and the goon says, "Well, it's a waste of time if you ask me." After seeing Char- Charlie Noodles cram a three hundred pound stiff into a five gallon bucket, pulling a rabbit out of a hat just isn't that impressive. <laughs> And then we see another Atomic Rage um, issue. Only this one. Can the greatest hero of the Golden Age withstand <laughs> testicular cancer? <laughs> yeah, this was the winner for the uh, Atomic Rage. Yeah. You merely so, groped yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a blast from my nuclear brain for you. <laughs> So we um, we go back to the story now, and we meet Draxton Entity and his two lovely assistants, who look just like the girls from the uh, Playboy Party Jokes um, page uh, back in the 60s and 70s that they used to have in Playboy magazine. And he's very much like the Swami type, the... Um, I'm trying to think of more characters like that, but Sargon the Sorcerer, he was very reminiscent of, or uh, Ibis, or those kind of characters. And Frankie and his girl are... Don't, are um, enjoying the show. Again, we see his girl in profile, but don't see her face. And while she's powdering her nose, they take Frankie up on stage, make him part of the act, and put him into a crate, and he disappears. And as soon as he disappears, the uh, magician pulls out this mystic eye and hypnotizes the entire crowd into having said that they saw nothing. And then by the time his girlfriend is back, Frankie's gone, and nobody in the crowd knows what she's talking about. <laughs> so the next scene, we have the goon, and he's fighting someone, and everybody's laying money on the goon to beat uh, whoever he's fighting. It turns out he's fighting a cow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's just First a coincidence, but um, you remember in Conan when he punches out the camel? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. I thought it was interesting how they started with the Conan parody and then the goon punches out a cow. Right. Probably and, the line, and the line here where he says, that's nothing. My Aunt Kizzy could take the head off a cow in one punch. We, uh, <laughs> we, we learn a little more about his Aunt Kizzy as, as, he learn, you know, as we uh, go along through the story. Uh, she was uh, the woman who pretty much raised him on the carnival. And one of the guys, son of, that's the last time I bet on that cow. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Frankie's girl, Stella Johansson, is in the doorway yelling at the goon because Frankie left her high and dry at the show. And she storms out. And then uh, the goon tells Skinny to collect his money for him. He's going to go check out this uh, magician. He goes to the Moonlight Firefly, and we notice there are a couple of missing flyers on the telephone pole across from the theater. And the goon walks in, and he sees Wally from the neighborhood and he asked him what had happened to him that magician came two weeks ago told him I didn't want to be in his magic ad he did this to him and he took took over downstairs and then Wally kind of expires he is not looking too good his face looks like it's been chewed by some sort of giant 
under the skin. Parasite, maybe. I'm not sure. It looks very deformed. Then our next um, ad is for Stepping Over with Edward Johns. <laughs> Obviously, uh, a spoof of crossing over with John Edward. He's having like a really hard time coming up with anybody, you know, a letter or anything for anyone in the crowd. And the one and the final panel is, don't worry, he'll look like a genius after we edit this. So, <laughs> Sounds like our podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, no doubt. <laughs> so the goon comes down to the basement, and uh, he sees the, um, the magician there. And there's Frankie tied to a chair with a straitjacket. He's like, Frankie, what have they done to you? Frankie says they keep and he's there with the two hot um, stage assistants who are scantily clad and says they keep stretching and bending over and dropping stuff and picking it up and jumping up and down and acting like they're going to touch me but they don't I can't take it anymore <laughs> get me out of here so I guess he's being teased to death pretty much by these uh, assistants <laughs> oh yeah hey one bleep man I did pretty well <laughs> For for one of my episodes, I did. I thought I did pretty well. Agreed. So it turns out that the magician isn't actually the problem here. The problem is the two women, who are not what they seem, and the one girl punches or kicks the goon right in the face, and he says, "Hey, I don't hit no dames," and he kicks. She kicks him in the face, and he says, "Try take advantage of a guy trying to be decent, will ya? I'll learn ya." He throws the girl against the wall, and it turns out they're kind of these weird. Uh, harpy bird creatures, uh, demon creatures, and they are using the magi- they're mind controlling the magician to help them in their uh, quest to find people to corrupt and destroy. You know, he goes through his litany of excuses in the, this bottom panel, and I, I just couldn't help but, like, when I'm reading this, start thinking in my head, "Locust, it wasn't my fault. <laughs> it was a flood, Locust. <laughs> Come on, baby, you know I love you." Yeah. It wasn't my fault, I swear to God. <laughs> so the goon is chained up with mystic chains, and he explains to them these bird girls are bound to the stone in his turban, and he must appease them, or else he's going to kill, or, or else he's going to die, and they'll kill him. And by the time he's told this story, the goon has already gotten out of the chains and said, "So that little rock on your forehead is the cause of all this, yeah?" And then he, so he immediately smashes the guy's skull in with the rock <laughs> to solve the problem. And without even saying anything else to Frankie, he says, you're in deep trouble, my friend. Stella thinks you walked out on her. It wasn't me. I got to go tell her what happened. That you were tied up by two half-naked women while they gyrated and cavorted around you? (laughs) (laughs) Son of a... (laughs) I was kidnapped by aliens. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. And then uh, that's the end of that tale. And there's one more story in the book. Uh, The goon in Attack of the One-Eyed Scumbag from Outer Base. And we see a one-eyed scumbag from outer space wearing a fedora and a pinstripe suit uh, talking like Edward G. Robinson at, uh, at the goon. You see, I'm running this park now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we start this episode. And, uh, the goon and uh, Frankie are at the psychic seal. <laughs> it's a seal with a, uh, tur- wearing a turban on his head. And it's, all, it's totally like uh, the old episodes of Lassie where Lassie would bark, What? Arf, arf. Timmy's falling down a well. Only this yeah. time, it's you say a spaceship is going to crash here, Ark, and then the spaceship is a freakish one-eyed alien, Ark, Ark, and it sets up the whole story of what's happening. And then Frankie points out the window. Oh my God, here it comes! And the this the seal says Ark, Ark again. And the Frankie says, Hey, watch your mouth, you stupid seal. 
we get a few more arcs and Frankie is, gets a little mad. That's all I'm going to take out of you. And he punches the seal out. <laughs> and the goon says, to slave my world, will ya? And uh, the, bug, the bug-eyed scumbag from outer space comes down. Another world to squeeze. And the goon throws a bucket of water at him and it burns him to death. And then an Einstein-type scientist comes out and says, well, if it you know, if water would have killed him, then the very atmosphere would have burned his lungs as soon as he breathed. This sounds like a bad science fiction story someone crammed into three pages. And the last <laughs> panel has the goon, Frankie, and the scientist all looking out at the reader. And thus ends the first trade of the goon, Nothing But Misery. I'm, I'm reading, and I'm going through this whole three pages, and I'm just like, okay, all right, it's it's... All right. I'm like I, after all this whole book of you know you know it's funny. There's this monsters. I'm reading. I'm like okay, okay. And then you get that last panel. I'm like oh, there's the funny. <laughs> there's the funny. Yeah, he does bring the funny. It's cool though because as the um, the stories go on, they're still funny, but they add more. Uh, there's you know there are more serious uh, stories going on uh, later on in the you know, the as the character develops and everything. But it still doesn't lose that light that light goofy touch that makes it so fun to read. Right. And uh, again, you know, we have so many comics that come out now that we all read and enjoy that are, you know, very serious and dark. I mean, Blackest Night comes to mind. I mean, you have like all these dead characters coming back to life and all this angst and uh, all these things going on. And yet, you know, I, I go to the goon to kind of, you know, clean all that out of <laughs> my brain like a palate cleanser. Uh, you know, the goofiness and the action and the violence is just so over the top and funny and and. I don't know. I just really enjoy it a yeah, lot. Yeah, it definitely lightens the mood, and it's it's. Uh, I mean, it's still dealing with some some, not dark, but some some more spooky elements and themes with the zombies and everything else. But it does it in such a almost slapstick, lighthearted way. You can't help but but laugh and smile with it. Yeah, that's right. That's that's exactly what drew me to and why I enjoy it. Uh, any summing up thoughts on the goon before we uh, we take off tonight? No, just I think overall I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. I really just kind of thought it was just going to be kind of meh. And I found as I read more and more in, you know, the more and more of, of it that I read, the more I enjoyed it and the more I kind of saw the humor in it and saw the style and everything and, and really enjoyed it. So if I get the chance, I'll, I'll probably end up picking, picking up more of these to, to read on. Yeah, I, um, I said I, I would never have uh, picked this up to buy on my own without the, without the show. So um, I really appreciate the opportunity to read it. Um, I'm not going to necessarily say I'm going to run out and grab, you know, volumes two or whatever else is out, you know, immediately, but I'm definitely going to be, uh, having my list and get to them by finding them at like a, you know, half off place. I mean, as the opportunity presents itself to get them, I'll, I'll, I will be reading more. And uh, I'd just like to say to all our foreign people who seem to think that we're DC and Marvel centric, uh, we're not, we're just picking the things that we like. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm glad we were able to put another Dark Horse book in there at least. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. As I said before at the top of the show, Russ and I are having fun with Dark Horse at the, uh, you know, we're on the extended edition with the uh, Star Wars stuff, and uh, there's a lot more stuff out there that we still have to tap into, and uh, we're going to get to it. Yep. Sweet. Well, uh, to all of those who really enjoy the Goon, at the end of the, after the end of this episode, you'll be able to listen to a uh, an interview I did at the New York Comic Con with Eric Powell and uh, and his wife, uh, all about the Goon. I asked him about the Goon and uh, some of his influences. I asked him about the uh, upcoming David Fincher animated uh, feature film based on the Goon and how that's coming along. And he couldn't have been more gracious and nice. He's just a super very down to earth, nice guy. Uh, I know his uh, Twitter account is Goon Guy. If you want to follow him, it's all one word. Uh, low case and uh like me he's a big supporter of roller derby so 
that's cool as well. So uh, if you stay tuned to the end, till the end of this episode, you can uh, listen to that interview. The only reason uh, we didn't put it at the top of the uh, episode is because the audio quality really isn't all it could be. So if you uh, have sensitive ears and don't want to listen to something that isn't top audio quality, then I certainly understand that. But it was a fun interview, and I'm glad I did it, and I just wish I'd had better equipment to do it and know more about what I was doing. So there you go. I think it's the caveat on there. Thanks a lot for reading the goon, guys. Thanks. Fantastic. And uh, for the rest of the Legion of Dudes, uh, for Johnny M. and Adam Mimac, who had to bail early for various reasons, we'd like to say goodnight and thank you, and we'll see you next week for Volume 1 of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. All right, awesome. Thank you, and I guess goodnight. 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 My name is Jim Bates for the Legion of Dudes, and I'm talking to Eric Powell, creator, artist, mastermind behind one of my favorite comics, The Goon. And it's super, super uh, honored to talk to you, sir. Oh, thank you. We're going to be doing uh, the Goon on, uh, we do in-depth uh, reviews of graphic novels, and we're going to be do- doing the uh, series on the Goon coming up in about a couple months. Um, I, obviously, you have a ton of different influences. I mean, there's like a really light touch, but a very gritty touch. I mean, who, who are some of the artists that really influence you as far as the look of the Goon? I mean, it's very striking visual style. Oh, know. thanks. Uh, Jack Kirby, Bernie Wrightson, Jack Davis, uh, Wally Wood, Will Eisner, all right. those guys. Basically, everyone that that was in some way touched by EC Comics, pretty much. That, yeah, I totally get that vibe. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, in more modern uh, day influences would be like Mignola and Jeff Smith, and uh, you know, those guys are awesome. All good stuff. Yeah. Um, I really, I, I noticed a huge change in tone with uh, the Chinatown graphic novel. I mean, the Goon, I mean, for all the blood and guts there, it's very lighthearted, you know, very much in the tradition, like you said, EC Comics or Old Mad, you know. Um, with Chinatown, it's a lot more of a serious story. You really, like, brought it in. Would uh, it take you longer to tell that story than it would some, like, a regular Goon comic? Or, I mean, I mean, it really, like, delves into the history of the Goon, so I imagine it's some stuff you've been planning yeah. all along. Uh, the the acorn of the story is something I planned all along. Actually, I think there's a reference to Chinatown in the very first issue of the Goon I did, but um, it, it took quite a while for me to evolve the story to the point uh, where I wanted it. Um, just because it was so big, and, and I wanted you know this, this was going to be a, uh, a you know a, a because it was such a change. It was supposed to be this big special event in the you know in the goons history. Right. And right. So I, I wanted to make sure I, I I got what I wanted out of it. Um, so that took a little took a little while to work on. Um, uh, I really like the way like you set different tones with different styles too. Like I remember in that the very first trade there's a there's one panel of buzzard where half of his face has the orphan any eyes yeah. and he's all drunk and the rest and then the rest of that's done in pencils or whatever. Um, and again, in Chinatown, there are a lot of different drawing stuff. Do you like doing a lot of different things, or do you just prefer the traditional illustration and ink? Or? Yeah, I, I like to experiment. Um, I, I it keeps it interesting for me. Um, it's not just a, a, a tool. I, mean, I I use it as a tool to tell the story. Like obviously, in that section that you referenced about Buzzard, it was to get show the shift in time right, right. and make it feel a little bit older and dustier you mm-hmm. do it in pencil like that but it's also just to um, keep myself interested because I don't I, I get kind of bored using the same 
um, mediums over and over again. I like to, you know, paint and, and do ink washes and pencil and just to change it up. And because technology is what it is now, um, we really have no restrictions on the way we can print things. Right. You know, back in the day, it was kind of like, all right, here's your black, your red, your blue, you know, and that's what they could do. Now, I mean, we can do anything with printing, so why not take advantage of it? Right, totally. Now, I've heard rumors that uh, there's going to be a Goon film. Yeah, we're working on the, um, uh, with Dark Horse Entertainment, Blur Animation, and, and David Fincher, we're, we're trying to put together a uh, animated feature film. Um, Is that going to be CGI or Yeah, CGI. Oh, CGI. Yeah. Um, I've seen some test footage from Blur, and uh, it looks amazing, so I'm really excited, and hopefully we'll get this thing off the ground. I mean, well, if you're happy with it, then yeah. it's pretty close to what it should be, I'd imagine. Yeah, oh, they, they're doing an amazing job, so... Do you have any time? I mean, I know animation takes a long time. Do they have any, like, schedule? No, or? there's no schedule yet. We're still in the preliminary stages. Awesome. So, yeah. That's great. I'd love to see each other on the big screen. Hey, thanks a lot for talking to me, man. I appreciate it. I got a